the podium. But either way, I'm thankful to be here. I feel like uh, brother, da- uh, brother David. I feel like David in Psalms 122 when he said, "I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord.'" And I'm thankful to be here, even if the Lord is going to humble me on my way up. <clears throat> Turn to Mark chapter eight. We'll try to recover and uh, carry on here. <clears throat> Cannot believe I almost fell off. <clears throat> We're going to read four verses in the, the book of Mark, chapter 8. <clears throat> I'll give you just a minute. I still hear pages turning. Mark, chapter 8, verse number 22 says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Let's pray really quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for blessings, Lord. I Lord, I do ask that you bless the message this morning, God. I pray that you'll help me not to say anything that you wouldn't have me to, Lord. And I pray that you'll just be with us and you'll be with our service, God. I pray that you will move in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. <clears throat> I love this passage. Uh, when, I, when I wrote this sermon, I, uh, <clears throat> I was listening to this certain song that was, it was, talking about, uh, it was talking about Naaman and it, how and it was taken a little bit out of context, but it was talking about how he was going to go down into the River Jordan. He went into the River Jordan seven times, and he was going to go down again and again until he felt the touch of God. But then, you know, as the song went on, it, talk, it started talking about prayer and how uh, the, the individual singing, saying he was going to pray, he was going to go down again and again and again until he felt the touch of God. And I uh, started pondering that and in my own life, and I, when, I, when I was first, uh, when I had first surrendered to preach as a young man, I, I remember continuously praying, God, would you touch me again, or God, would you change me again, or God, would you touch this area in my life, and I, I noticed there for a while, I kind of got away from that, and I would kind of for, for, forgot about it, and I would kind of uh, let myself become complacent with where I was, and with how I, and, and where I was at in my spiritual walk, and, and I, 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 I built this message, and when I built this message, it was, it was unbelievably convicting to me, but uh, before we dive into the points, let's just talk about really quickly the the context of where we're at, Bethsaida, and in, in this part of the Bible is this is written after Jesus said that He would do no more wonders in Bethsaida. He would no He would no longer perform miracles, or and His ministry would not have the power and effect that it had before in Bethsaida. It was Bethsaida was equivocally shut off, if you will. Uh, a lot of times. Uh, if you read the Old Testament in the church where it talks about that has Ichabod on the door or dead, if you will, it's a picture of a dead church. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that this church is dead. Don't take me incorrectly or out of context. I'm only giving you the context of the passage. But it's interesting when you put this, past, this chapter into context with Bethsaida that God is still doing a miracle for an individual inside of Bethsaida. And it's important, and we need to, we, we need to uh, understand the correlation to get the, 
to, to get the points here, but it, it correlates with Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man come, in, come unto me, or uh, if any man come unto me, or I will read it. Let's read it. Let's read it. I am losing my mind this morning. I tripped one time and I can't even think. <clears throat> Trip one time. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Sorry. Got that out. It's a picture of a church that God is no longer working in, <clears throat> but God is still willing to work with individuals. The need for God to uh, the, the need for the touch of God in our, in our individuals in our churches and in our church is great. It's, 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 uh, it is what drives our church. It is what drives growth in individuals. It is the, the one thing that we should be seeking when we come to church. In this passage here, I've, I've pulled out four specific types of touches that I see Christ actually physically give to this man. In verse 22, I'm going to read, read down to where my first point is. It says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. First, first touch. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when uh, he led him out of the town. The first touch is the touch of salvation. The touch of salvation. So when we look at the context of this passage in the and Bethsaida, we see the, the, the context of God taking him and separating him. Sounds a lot like what happened to me when I got saved. And God took me up out of the world and separated me from the world. And Israel, the Israelites, is a, it's a picture of a saved individual. You see, Egypt which is a picture of the world when God took them out of Egypt and he separated them. He took them out of it. That's what I see right here is the touch of salvation. God separated him. It just brings me back to the time when, and I don't know about y'all, but I may trip all over the place and I may look like an idiot, but I, I've, never gotten, I've never gotten over my salvation. It doesn't matter how, uh, how foolish I may look up here, but if I can tell you anything that will will strike home in your heart. There's nothing better than salvation. There's nothing better than the, the day that God reached further down in my heart and my life and, and pulled me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock and, and He sealed my eternity to heaven and He, he took my eternity that was on a one-track a one way to hell and, and He took my life up out of it and He, he put me on a, the, the narrow road onto, uh, towards heaven and towards Christ and towards a, a life that is everlasting with the one who saved me. <clears throat> the touch of salvation. You see, if you don't have the touch of salvation, if God hadn't have took him by the hand and separated him from Bethsaida and took him out and, and took him away, we wouldn't get to the rest of the message. That's the first part. If you're in here and you've never, never experienced the touch of salvation, you've missed everything. You, you've missed the whole point. The, you know, we come to church because God saved us and, and God loves us and we love Him because He first loved us and all of these other things that we say and we do. But the whole point is to see people saved. And I come because He saved me. That's why I'm here. I do this because He saved me. Everything else is B 
because of that moment. It's because he loved me. If you've missed that touch, if you can't take me back to the time where you experienced the touch of God, the saving touch of God where his blood covered you and, you, and you, the freedom that you experience and the, and the, and the grace that washes over you, you've, you've never experienced life. Truly, you've never experienced. <clears throat> There's nothing like the touch of salvation. It's one of those things that it's almost impossible to explain in words. <clears throat> those of you that are saved, you know, and you can remember clearly, I remember when I got saved, the, the freedom and the relief that came over me and the, and the grace that came over me and the feelings of, uh, of just pure joy and, and peace and, and happiness that nobody else can re replicate. There's nothing in this world that can replicate the feeling of being saved in Christ. There's nothing in this world that can give peace like knowing that my eternity is sealed. <clears throat> Secondly, <clears throat> I see the touch of purification. In verse 23, it says, And when he had spit on his eyes, y'all can do what you want with that. I've not, I've not come up with a good doctrine for Jesus spitting on him. I'm sure there's a wiser man here that can do something amazing with that, but I cannot. But it says, and he put his hands upon him, and he asked him if he, see, if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. So this first touch, he separated him. He took him out of Bethsaida. He took him away. I use that as the picture of salvation. It's what we, when God saves you, he separates you. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, right? But when you get saved, that's just the beginning. It's not, it's not a, well, I get saved and I've got it all figured out. Nope. That's not how that works. You don't just get saved and it just all works out from there and it's all perfect and I've got it all and I know it all. I've got the Bible memorized from Genesis to Revelation. It's all, it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't. There's this thing that's called sanctification or purification. Where God touches your life and changes you little by little by little. <clears throat> when you see this man, when Jesus touches this man the first time, he says, what? I see men as trees. He couldn't see clearly. He could see a little bit. He could see, he could see shapes, if you will. But he didn't have it all figured out. He, he, he couldn't see what he needed to see. I see that in our own lives, in my life especially. <clears throat> Purification comes from this right here. Sanctification comes from this right here. How do we how do we know how to how do we know what to change in our lives to be more like Christ? How do you know it? He wrote it. Why do we have Christians that walk around and they live like the world and they act like the world but they still say they're Christians because they don't know it. They haven't read it. This is, my, this is my irritation. 
let me get on my soapbox and chase a rabbit for two seconds. We have churches that struggle. We have Christians that struggle. We have Christians that, 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 that their life is getting ruined because they've allowed sin in their life, but they haven't washed with the word lately. You want, we, 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 want, we want victorious Christian lives. We want, we want lives that, that we can see and we can understand and we can be used, but we, we can't be bothered to open God's word. We can't be bothered to turn the radio off and, and even listen to it. We've got amazing gadgets right here. I listen to my Bible all the time. When I drive, I just push a button and it starts playing whatever chapter or verse that I want. It's amazing. It's never been so easy. But we got Christians that, that never open it. And we have baby Christians all over the place. They're not getting the touch of purification. <clears throat> the touch of purification is an interesting thought because when you're getting changed little by little and God is touching you little by little and you're, and you're growing in grace and you're growing in Christ, it, uh, it's, uh, the picture of the clay is an interesting way of looking at it because in the Bible, and, uh, the Bible talks about the potter and the clay and he's forming this, 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 this vase or this cup, if you will. And, and as it dries, if there's a damage or if there's a spot that isn't quite right, the, the, the potter would break that place off. It would be kind of painful if you think about it. He breaks that clay off. He'd break the part off. But I, I did some research. <clears throat> In old times, when the, the, the potters or the, uh, the pottery worker would repair old pottery or pottery that had had a crack or a, a damage that had to be fixed and had to be changed, they would actually go to the animals, the goats, the lambs, the sheep, and all of those, the, all of those animals that had ticks on them, and they'd get the biggest tick they could find off of them. And they would take those ticks and they'd put them in a grind, under a grindstone and they'd grind it up and then get the, the, bloody, the bloody salve, if you will. And they would take that bloody salve and they'd mix it into the clay and that, that blood would actually make a seamless repair to the pottery. It's interesting when you use Bible to, and understand what the Bible says that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins and and even the picturisms that the Bible uses, it requires blood to correct. See, God's going to take things in your life, and, and I don't believe that this was a, a painful experience for this man. It doesn't show to be a painful experience for this man, but uh, in our own lives, a lot of times this purification process, this, this touch of purification, if you will, is a painful experience. There's things that, ha that have to be stripped away, and there's things that have to be taken away to, 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 to get you to a place where you're more usable and more moldable, if you will. <clears throat> if you were here this morning for Sunday school, we talked about a submissive mind. Gaining that submissive mind that we talked about is in this touch of purification. It's a process. It's not a, it's not a well, I just woke up one day and I got it. No, it's a process that slowly, little by little, you are being touched by God and you're looking for a touch from God to, to, to propel you further in your spiritual walk. <clears throat> a lot of times Christians we get the idea that we've arrived or we've we've um, we've made it we've we've reached the goal but I've I find in my own life that I need God to touch me in more areas than I did when I first got saved or when I 
when I first started following God, I start to see more errors in my own heart, in my own life, in my own ways, and and the Holy Spirit starts to work on me and to touch me in areas. And, I, and I, like I said this morning in Sunday school, it becomes a, a thing that we, when I wake up in the morning, I, I think, well, I, I'm going to have to battle this today, and I know it's going to happen. Like, so, so God, can you, can you touch this area in my life, Lord? Can you, can you touch this so that I, maybe I won't mess it up today? <clears throat> the touch of God should be a, a thing that happens daily in our Christian's life. It may not be a, a tear-filled, tear-filled experience, and it may not be some miraculous event, but it should be something where God lays something on your heart, or God gives you a verse, or you got something out of your Bible reading, or you had a sweet prayer time in your prayer closet, or something happened every single day that God is touching you in a, in a special way. But the, the sad reality is, is, when uh, uh, individuals, we get that first touch or that touch of salvation and we're good. We're fine with that. Or the, the, the first touch that you see him, him give is that he can see men as trees walking. Well, that's better than what I had before. That's all, that, was, that was better than what I had before. So I, I'm okay. I don't need to go back to church. I don't need to be faithful three day, all three services. I don't need to be faithful to what God has for my family. I'm not interested in seeing my family succeed in life through Christ. I'm not, I'm not interested in victory in Christ. You say, well, that's not what we say. That's not what's said. That's what your actions say. That's what Christians' actions say. If we're not willing to be faithful in least, we can't be faithful in much. You want to see victory in your life? You want to see a, a Christian life that has power and, and ability to, to help people and, and, uh, and to see God work and to see God move in your life? It's going to take some effort. It's going to take sticking around, for one. This man didn't, he didn't leave after he got the first touch. Why do we have Christians that's not in church when the doors are open? You're going to miss something. You're going to miss something. I mean, as we go on, this man gets his, all of his sight returned. He gets all of it. He gets it back. If he would have walked out and said, well, I don't need to be here this Wednesday night. I don't need to be here on Sunday night. It ain't no big deal. You're going to miss something. You're going to miss something. I don't know how many people in here have experienced an actual move of God in a service, but it's, a, it's miraculous. I've only experienced a few in my time. In, in the, what is it, 16, 17 years I've been in church, I've only experienced a, a true movement of God where things are actually going on massively like two or three times in my entire life. A lot of times, it's on Sunday nights or a Wednesday night. 90% of Christians that needed to hear from God missed it. They missed it. <clears throat> touch of purification. We need God to touch our lives as Christians to, 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 to make us more like Christ and less like the world. It's our job to come out from the world. We're not to be of it. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to dress like it. We're not supposed to act like it. We're not supposed to listen to the same stuff. Our mouths should, our, our mouths should not be filthy. Our, our, our way of, uh, our mannerism should not be like them. We shouldn't be, uh, I hate the word contemporary because it's of the times. We shouldn't be of the times. We should be of the Bible. We should be what God wants us to be. 
touch of purification. We need purification in our lives. We need, we, 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 we need God to do something miraculous in our churches. We need to see individuals getting saved on a regular basis because of the way that we live, because our testimony holds weight, because we've given the time to God to allow Him to, to correct us and to purify us and to sanctify us and to make us into something that was usable for Him. <clears throat> I see thirdly, though, I see a touch of restoration. <clears throat> a touch of restoration. This man, he says he sees men as trees. How did he know that they were trees? A lot of times, Bible times, the individuals would think if someone was blind or maimed or lame or something along those lines, it would be because of sin that had caused that, obviously. That's not a cut and dry, and it's always that way. But I want to kind of use this passage to put an idea in your, in your mind and your heart this morning. <clears throat> if you go back to Genesis, we see that Adam, when he partook, him and Eve partook of the fruit, it caused sin to come into our lives, right? That's what happened. It, sin is in our flesh. It is in our, in our very being. It's in our blood. It has been passed down from the beginning when the curse in the garden happened. We, we've had a sin problem. We've always had a sin problem. And individuals can think, well, I'm, I'm not that bad of a person, but the Bible says that if you've offended the law on one point, you've offended it in all. <clears throat> but because of that sin in our life, it causes damages in our hearts. It causes issues in our hearts. It causes uh, rifts between our families. It causes pain and scars in our lives as Christians. If you've gone through the, the, the touch of salvation and, and you're going through the touch of purification, you're going to get to this place where you have these, these scars and these hurts and these things that I wish that I could go back and change. But as we see, he doesn't just touch him one time the touch of salvation he doesn't just touch him two times salvation and purification but he touches him three times and after in verse 25 it says after that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly In the Christian life, we're going to walk some rough roads. We're going to spend a lot of time with guilt, and the devil's going to throw a lot of things in your face. He's thrown a lot of things in my face that I've done, that I've, the mistakes that I've made, the mistakes that you've made, and the, and the mistakes that you're going to make. <clears throat> can I tell you that there can be peace in God? If you're willing to go through this process of the touching of God and, the, and, God, and allowing God to work in your life, kind of like what we talked about this morning, being submissive to what He wants for you and, and the direction that He wants for your life, and you're being tender to His, his draw, and you're, and you're looking for His touch not only in your family but in your church, there's a restoration that comes from that. 
There's something that comes from it. That the, there's peace in God. There's peace in, in knowing that he's, he's got it all and he's, he, he, he's, he's got it all worked out for you. He, he's there at the beginning and he's there at the ending and he, he knows what's best for you and he's, he's willing to work on you and, and to help you. And as I, as I talked about that picture of the potter and the blood, he's, the blood can get applied over and over, if you will. And, and, it, and, it, and it hides all of these sins and it, and it helps you get over it. If that makes sense at all, it's so hard to explain how God can help you. But it says in Jeremiah 30, it says, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. God's saying in his word that I understand that emotionally and mentally and, and physically there's issues in your life and there's hurts and there's wounds because uh, people are human and they're going to hurt you and they're, they're going to offend you. But God says, I can heal that. I can fix it, but you got to go through the steps, guys. you got to go through the steps. You can't get to the touch of restoration if you haven't gone through the touch of salvation. I get, I get so upset and frustrated with individuals that I know, because uh, there's individuals I know in my church alone that aren't saved, that they come to church and they're looking for something, and they want to know that, or they want that touch of restoration, and they want the help, and they want the healing, but they won't go to the step of salvation. They're, they're hanging their hat on the baptism, and it's not in the baptism. It's not. It says, the Bible says that for by grace are you saved through faith. They're hanging their hat on it. But they want the rest of it. They won't go back and, and accept Christ in the proper manner, in the way that He designed it. But they want the rest. They, they want the purification. They want to live a better life. They want to live a happier life. And they want the restoration, the healing that comes in God. But they're not willing to go through the initial step of humbling their pride and accepting Him. And doing what God says in, in Romans chapter 10, it says, uh, for, uh, for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And I've mixed that up. That's fine. <clears throat> but we see that God touches, and if you, if you read any of the Gospels, you'll find that God touches the, the, the infirm, the, the blind, the, the lame, the, the lepers, the dead, and the wounded, and all these individuals, He touches them. And we see healing throughout the Gospels. <clears throat> a lot of times in these Gospels, we, we'll read through them and we'll be, wow, that's a, that's a fantastic story. Or that's, a, that's an amazing uh, history lesson, if you will. But we never take it personally to the fact that God can heal a leper. And uh, in the Bible, leprosy is a, a picture of sin. And, and we know that sin is destructive and it will destroy your life and it will, it will eat you away if we... Go and just look at the lepers that the ten lepers that came to Christ and and the, they came to him and they and they they asked him to heal him and he healed all ten of them. They all, and he told them he said go to the high priest and show yourself and and allow him to cleanse you which is the the way that they were supposed to but there was one of them that went back to Christ. He, there's just one that went back and he said what did he say he said. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Because of thy faith, thy faith hath made thee whole. Whole. See, sin in our life has a way of taking things away and destroying things. But in the, the case of the leper, I, I kind of wonder, is he missing some fingers? 
Is he missing some toes? Is he missing an ear? Maybe, some, maybe a foot? Maybe an arm? But because he was willing to go back to Christ just to thank him, just to say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Just the healing was great. But God restored him whole. I imagine he was standing there, maybe his hand grew back immediately. And it was just amazing and fantastic. And why, whoa, why, whoa, whoa. can you imagine it? But the, we take those stories and we say, well, that's a beautiful story. God does the same thing in your life. He does. You may not see it as physical. You may not see it as, a, as evident, but all of those sins, the Bible says that he separated for as far as the east is from the west, and those sins that we have committed in our life, yes, they're going to cause scars, and they're going to cause pains, and they're going to cause hurts in your life that live for a long period, but over time of going through that process of purification, and I'm in my place, and I'm looking for God to touch me, we find that over time God is healing things. They're not as important as they used to be because he's more important than anything else. I'm just looking up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm not worried about the wreckage, the, the rest of the, what I've done in this world. It's, it's not important to me now because God is doing something in my life and I'm more interested in what he has for me. It's all about him. It's all about Christ. It's not about what I can gain from him. When I'm seeking after Christ and I'm looking for Him and, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I want His will in my life and I want, my, I want His will in my family's life and all I want to do is please Him and serve Him and honor Him and, and bring glory to Him. All of those things in, the, in life that, that seem so big become all so small because it's, it's, it pales in comparison compared to the one who died on the cross for my sin. It pales in comparison to the one that took the weight of my burden. He, he carried my cross on, Gal, on Golgotha's hill. It pales in comparison. And as you grow and you mature in your spiritual walk and you've gone through these touches and these experiences with God, you start to see that, wow, He's so much bigger than I realized before. He's so much bigger than I realized and we, like, as we talked this morning at Sunday school, it talks when we went through Philippians where it talks about the murmurings and the backbitings and the, and the strife and the vainglory and we, how we needed to have a submissive mind. It becomes so much easier when all of my focus is on Christ and looking for His touch. I'm not worried about what, the, what anybody else thinks about me. I'm only worried about what Christ wants. I'm only worried about his direction and i'm only looking for his touch and his restoration i only want to be purified by him i only want to keep his word it doesn't matter what some individual on facebook says about me or anybody else for that matter it doesn't matter what you think what you say it doesn't matter world because i have christ i have jesus that's all i want that's how we get restoration that's how you get to a place where God can touch you on a regular basis, where God can help you and, and push you forward and, and make, it, make you into something that is useful to Him. It can create a vessel in you that can be used in so many areas in so many individuals' lives. Before long, you can find a, that you are not only receiving touches from God, but you're being one that can give the touch of God because you're your spirit is right and your testimony is right and the way that you handle yourself is Christ-like and Christ is almost as if it reeks off of you as a, a, a perfume or an aroma, if you will. 
We need the touch of God in our churches again. We need a group of individuals and a, a group of people that are striving to find God and, and, they're, and they want God in their church and they want God in their life. But we've got a group of Christians in this day and age that's not interested in God in our churches. We're not interested in God in our life. We're only interested in, well, I'm going to be in my spot on Sunday morning and then I'm gone. I'm going to go do what I want to on Monday. That's not true Christianity. That's not living a life that is for God. That's not going to get you any victory. You're just filling a seat. You're not living it. You're not gaining anything. If you're not going to live by this word, then why are you here? If you're not going to accept Christ, then what's the point? We need God back in our churches. We need God back in our lives tired of seeing Christians fall out the way. I'm tired of seeing marriages broken up, and I'm tired of seeing children with having a mom and uh, a mom leave or a dad leave and then having to have a split home and a, a damaged childhood because our parents can't get in God's word and look for God and, and look for purification and sanctification and go through the process and be in their place and learn. I'm tired of children. I've seen so many teenagers grow up, get turn 18, leave home, jump right into drugs and alcohol, and not care a, word, not care a bit about God or, or anything that we've taught them. Because they're not interested. We've got so many Christians that, that don't want the touch of God. They don't want to experience true revival. They don't want to experience something in their own life that is beyond words. If you've ever experienced God in His, in His fullness, and if you've ever had that moment in prayer in your secret place where it just gets so heavy because God walked in the door. Have you ever experienced that? It doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it, it leaves a mark bigger than anything you can ever imagine. I experienced one time, we was at a Triple S actually, at a Christian ranch, with our church, and uh, <clears throat> we'd been going to services, you know, there's a service in the morning, there's a service in the evening, and we'd waited, and we'd waited, or I had waited, and I'd prayed to see God move in a big way, I wanted to see God do something, I wanted to see God touch some lives, and I remember, I think it was the first night that we were there, this young man, I think he was a young Hispanic man. I cannot remember his name. He was probably 16, 17 years old. He came up to pray at the altar. And a, another Hispanic gentleman came up and started praying with him. And, you know, I, I wasn't trying to, like, spy, but it was my job to keep my eyes open. And I was looking for a teenager that needed me to pray with him. And <clears throat> this gentleman stood up. The, uh, he was a counselor is what he was. And he turned around and he came to me and he's like, hey, can you pray with this kid? Yeah, sure, I, I guess. I don't know who he is. I have no clue who he is, but I'll, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So I went and I started talking to this young man. <clears throat> you know, it didn't feel like got very far. We talked about salvation. We talked about some different things, and I prayed with him, and he, I could tell his heart was very heavy, and he was struggling. Well, week went on. I think the next day or something, he same same kid came up to me, hey, can you come pray with me? And I, we, we continued this on for a couple of days. 
And in this whole time, in my heart, I was frustrated and I was aggravated because I wanted to see God touch some people in a special way. I was so frustrated because I wanted to see a big move from God and I wanted to see somebody, I wanted to see God physically move into an area. And I was praying for it, earnestly praying for it. I was begging God, please do something in our young people's life. We went day after day at camp and it was dead. It was dry. There was nothing going on. There was no great move like I wanted. And then the very last night, something crazy happened. The, the preacher that was preaching all of the sermons, he got ill, and they had to have a replacement. <clears throat> and I, I loved the guy that was replacing him. He was, he's actually the guy that runs the camp. His name's Luke Bishop, if anybody knows him. He got up there, and he preached a very humble message on, uh, in uh, 1 Kings. And then I remember when it was over, the message spoke to me specifically, and I, uh, my heart was heavy, and I wanted to see God move. And I went to the altar, and I remember this kid came up to me, and uh, he told me that he had gotten saved that week. And uh, he just wanted me to know that because of what uh, of my uh, he said something he, I just wanted you to know that you were a big part of that it's something along those lines and it broke me it broke me because I was so mad all week waiting on God to touch somebody I, I my my heart wasn't right my attitude wasn't right but a kid come to me and told me that God had used me in his life and I just started bawling because God got so thick in that room. Like, I can't, even, I can't even tell you how real it was in that moment. But when God got on me and God got a hold of me, I remember getting up and I had teenagers crying and bawling in prayer for over two hours after the service was over. I say all of that to say, I really wonder if the reason that we didn't have that all week was because my heart wasn't right. It took me all week of anger and frustration, wanting God to do something, wanting God to touch my church family, when I was the one that was holding the whole thing up because my heart wasn't right. I wasn't looking for a touch. I wanted to see other people get touched. But the moment that I got right, I've not seen a move of God like that since then. Two hours, very powerful two hours of prayer with teenagers. It was amazing. God can do that here. God can do that in your home. God can do that in your own life. But what's in your life? that's standing in the way of God being able to work and to touch. In your church, what's standing in the way that God could make something amazing happen in a moment? What's in the way? Don't look around at anybody else. Look at you. Look at me. What's in our hearts that's standing in the way of God being able to do something great here or great in your home? Is it you, Dad? Is it you, Mom? Is that why the kids are struggling? 
Is it my, is it my attitude at church? Is that, why, is that why I'm struggling at church? Is it my person? Is it me? Lastly, I see a touch of supplication. And I know what you think. Supplication means to ask for or beg for. I have found in my life that when God is working in my heart and he's touched me in ways like I've explained at Triple S and I've I've witnessed these miraculous moves, and I'm not saying that every touch from God needs to be a miraculous move, but I'm saying when I've experienced them, I beg for them. I beg for them. And not only just the big moves, when I recognize the little ones, because those little ones that happen day by day, and they're small, and they're not, they're not massive things that you recognize, but over time you just look back and be like, whoa, what happened? This is, I used to have a problem here, but it seems like it's gone now. Like uh, A good one is like anger. In my own life, I, I used to be really very angry, and I still I struggle with it from time to time, but for the most part, I'm, I'm a thousand times better. And it's not something that I worked on other than I prayed about it a few times. It just happened. And it was like, one day I woke up and it's was like, man, I haven't been angry in a while. It was strange. It was a slow touching from the Lord that God had done something in my life. And when I look back and I recognize the multiple different things that God has done that for, in my li- done that for me in my life, and I learned that, God, I need your touch again. God, I, I recognize this area. God, please touch this area. God, God our, our, my church needs a touch from you this morning. We, uh, there's going to be people there that aren't saved. God, if you'll let me be a blessing today. God, give me an opportunity to lead somebody to you today. God, help me to, to, to do this for you today. I need a, a touch in this area today, God. And As we've gone through the touch of salvation, we've accepted God and we've allowed God to purify us and to change us and to take away the old and put in the new. And He's restored our soul and He's restored us and He's, he, he's patched up the wounds, if you will. We get to a place that we beg God to, God, don't, don't leave me here. Keep touching me. God, I want Your presence daily. And then when we get to that place that we're we, we, we've grown in grace and we've grown in our spiritual walk that we become an a individual that can touch others around us with God. It's like I said before, it just you reek of it. You ever met somebody when they walk in a room and almost it's like, ooh, somebody brought God with them. That's what we need. We need individuals that are looking for, hey, I, I'm not interested and in my pride being stroked, I'm not interested in people looking at me. I'm only interested in the touch of God in my life. That is it. That's all I'm interested in. I'm only interested in the touch of God in my family. And I'm only interested in the touch of God in my church. That's it. That's all that matters. And they're actively searching for it. And then maybe we can get to a place where we can... We're not walking around seeing men as trees. I feel like I'm still at that place in my life where I just can't see yet, God. God, I need you to touch me one more time because I just can't see. I just don't understand why you're doing this. And I don't understand why I'm going through this. But if I allow God to continually touch my life and sanctify me and purify me and bring me on and bring me further, one day maybe, and it may be, it may be in heaven, 
It may be in heaven before I ever see clearly in this life, but maybe one day I can see clearly what God's doing in my life and in my church's life. When was the last time that God touched you in a special way? Honestly, think back. When was the last time that you felt God move in your heart? And I'm not talking a, a, a self-righteous movement. I'm talking God broke you down and he, and he brought tears to your eyes. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you prayed for your church family? When was the last time that you got serious about God? When was the last time? Can you take me back to the day that God saved your soul? Truthfully. It's not in baptism. It's not in works. It's not in something a pastor told you. Can you go back and say, this is the moment I remember it clearly that God saved my life. Can you go back to that day? Because if you can't, you can't get any of the rest that I've talked about. You can't grow. You can't get restoration. You can't get help. Because you don't have Christ yet. What's going on in your heart that is a wound, that is a hurt, that is pain, that is painful to you, that you need God to touch specifically? Have you asked Him for it? Have you talked to Him about it? We have a God that's not, He's not unreachable. He, he can be reached. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that He is constantly interceding for us. He's willing to hear you out. He wants to help you. He wants to hear from you. Have you asked for help? Have you asked for it today? Have you actually looked for God to move in your church, in your family? Have you? Truthfully. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I'm asking truthfully. Do we want to see God work in our churches and in our homes? We better start hitting an altar, whether it be up here or in our family altar at home where we're at our secret place where we can talk with God and be honest and be real about our situation. God can see through us. He doesn't need a, a mentality of, well, God, I'm doing pretty good today. God knows the truth. He can see it. He knows your pain. He just wants to hear from you. In the Garden of Eden, when he said, Adam, where art thou? He knew where Adam was. He just wanted to hear Adam admit it. That's the problem. We want to see the touch of God, but we won't admit that we need Him. We want to see God move, but we won't go looking for Him. Are you willing to go find Him this morning? Are you willing to pray for Him or pray for the, the issues in your life? Are you willing to pray for your family? Truthfully, are you willing to do it? We're fixing to have an altar call. There's, there, there's, a, way to, the, there's a way to reach God and to, and to create change. And it's through prayer. It's through His touch. But we've got to go to him and we've got to find him and we've got to get him. And if you're here and you're not saved, there's nothing better than salvation. And today is the day of salvation. The, the Bible says that whosoever, whosoever wills can come and whosoever wants to be saved, he'll save you. He already paid the price. Will you come today? Stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please. I ask that nobody be looking around this morning. <clears throat>